0: Alright, greetings to all of our campuses, those at our West Campus and those in our Traditions Service, um, and also our friends in LaSalle who use these videos at their worship service. We are so glad that all of you are here. Happy New Year to everyone. You know, as I as I look back on 2015, I am so grateful to God for what He has done at Christ Community. We saw 226 people baptized. Uh, we launched our eGroup vision and now have 76 e-groups that are together embracing the gospel, experiencing the spirit, and engaging in mission. And I am hearing so many cool stories from our e-groups in terms of ways they are engaging in acts of compassion. Very, very cool stuff. And um, By the way, if you want more information, this would be a great New Year's thing. If you want more information about our e-groups and how you can get into an e-group, you can check out our website. We would love for everyone at Christ Community to be in an e-group. We have some men's e-groups, and women's groups and couples groups and all sorts of different groups. So um, and uh, we also are are, uh, welcoming 35 people as partners of Christ community, which is really, really cool. Um, God is doing so many wonderful things here at Christ community, but, but I got to be honest, while this past year was amazing, I am super excited about this coming year in February, we are going to be unveiling an incredibly exciting vision that we believe the Lord has given us a vision to increase his impact in this region and in this world in dramatic ways. I cannot wait to share that with you and for all of us to begin moving towards what God is calling us to. So these are very exciting days at Christ Community. Okay, so so it's January, fresh start, a new beginning. Some of you may be, you know, um, I'm tackling some New Year's resolutions, lose 10 pounds or get back to the gym or get out of debt or start some healthy habit. I mean, the beginning of a new year is a great time to reflect on the past and lay a foundation for positive changes. Now, whatever area that you're focused on in terms of New Year's resolution, there is a common foundation that can help ensure that 2016 is truly off to a great start, off on the right foot. And that foundation is prayer. So we're going to spend the month of January focusing in on how this incredibly important facet of spiritual life can can we can grow in that how can we we can grow in our experience of prayer. Now let's just admit right up front right off the top here let's just admit prayer is a pretty huge mystery in many ways. I mean, at one level, prayer is, it is an instinctive response of the human heart. I mean, a recent Pew, Pew Research study revealed that 55% of Americans pray daily, 55%, 23% pray weekly or monthly. That's a whole lot of people who pray but even with that being the case, prayer can also feel very confusing. It raises lots of questions. Does prayer really make any difference? Is prayer this cosmic wish list that only works, you know, if you get the, the, right, the, the formula right? I mean, right right after the shootings um, in San Bernardino, California, a number of politicians in response to the tragedy mentioned something about prayer, praying for the victims and all of that. Well, in response, the New York Daily News had this cover the next day. God isn't fixing this. God isn't fixing this. And that was responding to the politicians that were talking about prayer and all that. And I know a lot of people got kind of bent out of shape about that article but, and that cover, but isn't that honestly how we feel at times about prayer? <laughs> we pray and we wonder, does, does it make any difference? Why isn't God fixing this? You know, does it make any difference? Or is it just a waste of time? Now, that, that question and that frustration bring us to, I think, the foundational issue as it relates to prayer. What is the real purpose of prayer? Why pray? Is prayer simply a means of getting God to do something? Or is it more than that? That's a really important question. How we answer that one question will have a huge impact upon our experience of prayer. If prayer for us, if prayer for us is simply about bringing God a list of things that we need for him to do for us, we will eventually get bored or frustrated with prayer. But what might happen, what might happen if we began to view prayer from a different vantage point, a, a different perspective, a relational one? See, what if prayer was not as much about getting God to do things as it was about connecting our heart to his? See, what if, what if prayer was more about union with God than about getting things to happen, See, I believe that one change in perspective can radically impact our experience of prayer. That one change can radically impact our experience of prayer. Rather than prayer being this vending machine kind of experience, prayer becomes an opportunity to keep company with God, which is pretty cool. It becomes an opportunity to keep company with God, to cultivate an authentic, very real friendship with him. So in this series, we're going to look at a real life example of a man who had this kind of prayer life. His name is, was Nehemiah. And we find out about Nehemiah in a book called Nehemiah. Imagine that, okay? The book of Nehemiah is in the Old Testament, and it occurs during a very difficult season for the Jewish people. So let me take just a couple of minutes here and set the context for this book so we understand the context in which Nehemiah was, was living. The history of the Jewish nation began with Abraham who lived around 2000 B.C. Abraham's descendants became the nation of Israel. And for 400 years, the the descendants of Abraham were were in bondage in Egypt. But God miraculously delivered them. Moses, you know, the part in the Red Sea, the fleas, all that stuff. Okay, so that whole exodus account, God miraculously delivered them. And they eventually entered into the promised land and became this very powerful nation under the leadership of three powerful kings. fault was first and then David and then David's son Solomon. However, Solomon lost sight of God and as a result, the nation after Solomon died, the nation divided after his death. The northern kingdom was called Israel, the southern kingdom was called Judah, and they were often at war with each other, just like our nation's history in terms of civil war that involves some of the darkest days of our nation's history, so too for Israel and Judah. These were some of the darkest days of their history. Well, eventually Assyria, big bad Assyria came along and in 722 BC demolished the northern kingdom. So Israel was no more. They were demolished. They just really ceased to exist. But Judah, the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was, very important city. Where Jerusalem was, that remained a Jewish nation for another hundred plus years until the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, um, invaded Jerusalem. So in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar leveled the city. He destroyed the temple. He tore down the protective wall, the fortress that was built around, around Jerusalem, the wall. It was just a horrible time. And then he took the people captive he took them captive back to Babylonia. So for 70 years, they were in captivity until Persia, under the rule of Cyrus, overthrew Babylon. And Cyrus was more sympathetic to the Jewish people. He was more sympathetic to this situation. So during the reign of Cyrus, he allowed some Jews to go back to Jerusalem, which leads us to the book of Nehemiah. Beginning in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, where we are introduced to this pretty amazing man. We're told in this first chapter that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, which actually, which initially sounds like a, a lowly servant, but it actually was a, a position of significance. So Nehemiah was the guy as a cupbearer. He was the guy who would taste the wine and he would test the food before King Artaxerxes would indulge just to make sure that it hadn't been poisoned. Often the cupbearer would become an intimate advisor to the king because a close, a very close confidant because they spent all this time together. They shared all these meals together. So Nehemiah was in a position of significant influence. And yet he was also of Jewish descent. His heart was for his own people as we're going to see. So Nehemiah chapter one, verses one through three. Let me start reading this. The words of Nehemiah, son of In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So things are not good. Nehemiah finds out that even though some exiles have returned to Jerusalem, they are not doing well. They are in trouble. The walls of the city are broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire, which means that the city of Jerusalem is vulnerable to attack. It left the the Jewish people vulnerable to their enemies. It's bad news. So how did Nehemiah respond to this news? Look with me at verse four. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. This is such a powerful verse as it relates to prayer. In this verse, we see in a vivid way the nature of God's invitation to us to pray. The nature of his invitation. There are three facets of this invitation that I want to highlight. The first aspect of God's invitation to us is this. Come messy. Come messy. I mean, think about what is going on with Nehemiah when he hears this news. We read that he sat down and wept. Now, what happens when a person weeps? There is snot everywhere, okay? There is snot everywhere. There are sobs. It is not pretty, It is not pretty. It's sort of embarrassing when you really weep in front of other people, isn't it? It's kind of embarrassing. I mean, it's messy. You see, that's where Nehemiah's prayer begins. In this place of messiness, this place of raw emotion. And then that's exactly where God meets him. See, we need to understand that God's invitation to us As it relates to prayer, his invitation to us is to come messy. He wants us to come to him just the way we are. Not pretending to have our act together. Not acting like everything is okay. Not hiding from him what's really going on in our hearts. No, 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 no. The invitation from God to us to pray is to come messy. Be real. Let him meet you where you are rather than where you think you should be. where are the messes in your life right now? Perhaps it's that sin that is just keeps eating your lunch or the anger that keeps damaging your relationships. Or maybe it's the financial mess you're in and are ashamed of. Maybe it's your marriage or some other significant relationship that is not doing well. Maybe it's the ache of loneliness See, often we instinctively try and hide these things as much as possible, not only from other people, but also from God. But God says to us, don't hide. Don't hide. Welcome me into the messiness. Welcome me into the stench. Welcome me into the heartache and into the addictions and into the loneliness. Welcome me into those places. That's the invitation, but, but let's be honest. That's a fairly radical idea. <laughs> For most of it, it's a pretty radical idea because so often we think, I don't know where we get this idea, but we, we have many of us have this. We think that in order to come to God, we need to clean ourselves up that in order to come to God, we need to be more religious, more pure. We need to use words like thee and thou and, and maybe lower our voice a bit, you know, to sound a bit more holy, Right? Jesus once told a, a parable uh, about two men that went up to the temple to pray. And in one, this is in Luke 18, one guy was a tax collector, sort of the lowest of the low in terms of society's popularity scale. Everyone hated tax collectors. He was one of the guys. The other guy was a Pharisee, was a religious leader who everyone looked up to as being morally pure and close to God, okay? Okay. So you get the picture. They both come to God to pray. The religious leader prayed like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. So that's that's how the religious leader prays. The other guy, the tax collector, wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast. Jesus says he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then Jesus said, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. See, whose prayer did God listen to? God, he isn't impressed with our attempts to impress him. He's not. He, he, he's not impressed um, with, with our attempts to look better than we really are. No, he actually wants us to come to him messy, to be real about what we're feeling, about what we're experiencing. I mean, let me just ask, do, do you feel like you can pray when you just gave in to porn the night before? Or do you feel like, "Yeah, I can't pray. I messed up. Do you feel like you can pray when you're really angry with God about something? Often, see we don't feel like we can pray in those situations. We're too sinful, we messed up or we're too angry at God or all that. We feel like we're unworthy or we feel like we shouldn't be feeling the emotions we're feeling towards God or whatever. You know, I mean, do we really think God isn't able to handle those things? (laughs) I mean, really, why not come to him as you are? Welcome him into those places of shame or guilt or, or pain or, or fear. He wants us to come messy, to come as we are. There's a great example of this in the Bible, and, that, and that's David. <clears throat> Here's David, this man's man, right? This warrior, this strong leader. So how does David pray? I mean, I love this. Check this out. Here's just an example from Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? See, David is just flat out being real. That's what he's doing here. He is just being real. He feels like God has forgotten him, that God isn't doing anything. He acknowledges how he wrestles with his thoughts and his fears and his frustrations. And and, I mean, have you ever felt that way? I mean, I have. I'm sure most of us have, have felt that way. But here's the question. What do we do with those feelings? Do we keep them to ourselves? David didn't. He brought them to God. He just laid them out before God. Here's how I feel about you. I don't understand. Why are you far away? How long until you're going to do something? But he's running to God. He was bringing to God what he was thinking and feeling. I mean, folks, this is not pretty praying. This is raw praying. And God loves it. God loves it. This is the kind of prayer he loves. Forget that pious stuff, pretending stuff. Just come real. Be real. Here's another example from Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Break the arm of the wicked man. (laughs) I mean, talk about brutal honesty. You ever prayed like that? Break his arm, Lord. <laughs> Go get him. I've prayed that prayer, you know. Um, when, I, when I pray about ISIS, I find myself praying these kinds of prayers. Get him, Lord. Stop him. Destroy him. That's what I feel. I wonder if sometimes we avoid praying. Sometimes we avoid praying because we think we have to clean ourselves up. We think we have to be perfect. We, we think we have to hide what we're really feeling because what we're really feeling is not very spiritual. But the opposite is the case. God doesn't want us to pretend. He wants us to come to him messy and to welcome him into those angry, stinky, frustrated parts of our lives. So is that the way you think about prayer? It's really important. Is that the way you think about prayer? Let me give an analogy that may be helpful um, to some of us here. You may not realize this, but I actually own a suit, believe it or not. I own a suit with a tie and everything, yes. And I take that suit out for special occasions, right? If I'm attending a wedding, right? Or I take this suit out when I'm doing a funeral. So for me, this suit, the suit that I have represents my need. It represents when I need to be on. It represents when I have to have my act together, so I don't wanna wear that suit very much. Now I also own, I own this shirt. I got this shirt 15 years ago on a gap clearance rack for 10 bucks, okay? I love this shirt. I mean, I love this shirt. I wear this shirt all the time. It is comfortable. I can wear it with ratty jeans. I wear this shirt on many of my days off. I can, I, you know, I can be myself in this shirt. I can lay around, I can fix things, I can watch a movie in this shirt. And I'm pretty sure my wife wants me to burn this shirt um, because I've worn it so often for so long. But I love this shirt, I want to wear it. Now, here's the question Which of those describes your feeling about prayer? Is prayer for you like a formal suit? that doesn't really feel that comfortable but you know you need to put it on and when you put it on, you know you need to be on? Or is prayer for you like this clearance rack shirt from Gap? You can be yourself. You can be real. You want to wear it because it feels comfortable. You can come as you are. See, that's a really important question. Because if we view prayer like a formal suit, guess what? We're not going to pray very often. Same reason I don't wear my suit very often, okay? When, if we view prayer that way, we're not going to pray very often. Because it won't feel like us. But if we view prayer like that comfortable shirt that we love to wear, we will be praying all the time. We will want to pray. See, God invites us to come to him messy. Come just the way you are. Well, there's a second facet of God's invitation to us, and that is to come needy. Come needy. The reason Nehemiah was weeping was because his heart was broken by the plight of his people. He was suddenly confronted with this huge need. And he instinctively, he instinctively ran to God with that need. I love this. It is totally, I love this idea. It totally uncomplicates prayer. See, I think sometimes we make prayer way too complicated, but it is not complicated at all. It's not complicated at all. In fact, one of my favorite descriptions of prayer is found in an old, out-of-print book by a Norwegian theologian named O. Halisby. O is his first name. I don't know why, um, but that's his first name. I think O. So anyway, O. Hallisby, right? Hallasby settled on one particular word, one particular word to summarize the heart posture that God accepts as prayer. Here's the word. Helplessness helplessness. Hallisby writes this, only he who is helpless can truly pray. Now, what does he mean by that? He's not saying that we should just give up any effort on our part and just live our lives on a recliner somewhere or whatever, just be helpless. He's not talking about that. No, his point is that when it comes to prayer, when it comes to prayer, our helplessness, our weakness is actually an asset. Why? Because our helplessness moves us to look to God in faith. It moves us, our helplessness moves us to look beyond ourselves. I mean, think about this. When life is is really going well, when we're not experiencing any challenges or difficulties or whatever, what happens to our prayer life? (laughs) Right? It often ceases to exist. Now, on the other hand, what happens to our prayer life when tragedy strikes? What happens when to our prayer life when a friend is diagnosed with cancer or when our teenager is struggling with something? What happens to our prayer life? What happens when, like Nehemiah, we, our hearts are broken with some need? We pray. We pray. Our helplessness is our best prayer. I mean, are are we running to God with our helplessness, with our need? Now, often the answer is yes, initially. Initially, right? In our helplessness, we instinctively pray. But what do we do when our prayers don't seem to be helping? What do we do when our adult child continues to drift from the Lord? What do we do when some physical condition continues to cause pain? It's very easy to lose heart and to give up praying. But remember, 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 prayer is not simply about getting God to do what we want him to do. Prayer is ultimately about relationships. It's about cultivating an intimate relationship with God where we do ask for his help, but we also just enjoy his presence. We also listen to his voice. We wait in his presence. We enjoy him in worship. See, sometimes our suffering can result in a deepening intimacy with Jesus and, and again, we, these are questions beyond, you know, why suffering and all that. But sometimes our suffering, when God doesn't immediately answer and remove and heal and all that, sometimes in those situations, it deepens our intimacy with him. It's not the path we would have chosen, but it is, for whatever reason, it's the path he has for us at this time. The key is to keep praying, to keep Running to him. Because again, it's about relationship. Not, about just, not just about getting answers. It's about relationship. So the key is to keep running to him. Which leads to a third aspect of God's invitation to us. We are to come messy. We are to come needy. Third, we are to come loved. We are to come loved. You see one of the reasons that Nehemiah prayed was he be, was because he knew God heard his prayers. See th- this idea of God actually hearing our prayers and paying attention that is it, 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 that's a radical idea it's an amazing reality god hearing our prayers of god wanting to listen to us wanting to turn his ear and his heart towards us that's an amazing reality and it's true <laughs> The Bible asserts this over and over and over again in a variety of ways. God wants us to come to him. He wants us to pray to him. And at the heart of this invitation is love. Love. He loves you. When the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray... He gave them what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer. It provides for us a pattern of praying that can be really, really helpful. I've used this pattern in my own prayer life for years, and I love it. Um, As we walk through this series, we're going to see how Nehemiah used a very similar prayer pattern. But what I want us to focus on today is how Jesus, how Jesus himself teaches us to begin our prayers. He starts with the words, our Father. This was a very, we got to understand, this was a very radical concept Jesus is introducing when he did this. For the Jews in that day and age, no one called God Father. No one would call God Father. God was viewed in a particular way as being transcendent, as being holy, otherworldly. In fact, Jews wouldn't even use his name. His covenant name from the Old Testament, Yahweh, they wouldn't even speak his name just out of reverence for him. And all of that is true about God. He's holy, he's transcendent, he's otherworldly, all that's true, but it does not reflect his entire heart and character, which is what they missed in this prayer thing. And that's why Jesus, when he teaches them and us to pray, he does so in this way. He teaches us to address God as Father, to acknowledge not only his transcendence, but also his closeness, his love, the love of a perfect father towards us. See, Jesus wants us to have a right perception of who God is as we pray. This is so important. He wants us to have a right perception of who God is as we pray. See, our, and here's why this is so important. Our perception of God, how we perceive God will have a huge impact upon our prayer lives. Let me, let me illustrate. Imagine you're in fourth grade, okay? You're in the fourth grade, and you have a teacher who is really cranky and critical and kind of mean and always has a scowl on her face, right? And she, she regularly punishes you for breaking the rules and all that. Okay, so that's, that's the teacher. You have that her in your mind, okay? Um, we probably all had a teacher like that um, at some point. So that's, that's the teacher. You're in fourth grade, that's your teacher. And one day, this teacher says, hey, Johnny, I'd like you to come in after school so that we can hang out. I'd like to just get to know you a bit better. Are you showing up after school? No way. There is no way. You're showing up. You don't want to hang out with her. You don't want to hang out with an authority figure like that. Even if she does want to hang out with you, you don't want to hang out with her. You see, if we perceive God to be critical or angry or distant or disappointed in us, how much are we going to want to pray? We won't, we we won't. Why would we wanna hang out with a God like that? This, this father thing that Jesus that Jesus presents, it is absolutely huge. Do you perceive God as a father who is passionately, unendingly, unconditionally in love with you? Often the answer to that question is no. For honest, it's no. We don't perceive God in that way. No matter how many Bible verses about God's love we've memorized, no matter, you know, what we we have a, that, that truth has a really hard time making it into our hearts. So why is that? What is it that most significantly shapes our perception of God? It's our experience of our earthly father. Our experience of our earthly father. None of us had perfect fathers and often our experience of our earthly father gets subconsciously projected onto our perception of God. It is subconscious. We don't consciously do this, but it happens. So for example, if our earthly father was emotionally distant from us, we often subconsciously believe that God is, subcon- God is emotionally distant from us, that he, 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 he feels distant to us, or if our earthly father was absent from our lives in significant ways. We, we project that onto God, believing that he is absent from us. Now, I'm not saying that our earthly father was bad or evil or whatever. What I am saying is that our experience of him, or even our perception, what if it wasn't true, our perception of our father what, either one of those, if, if, if our perception of him or our experience of him is, is, is negative, that will often shape our view of God in more ways than we realize. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Let, let me offer a, a pathway that I've seen firsthand can be very powerful in people's lives. There, there are three things I want to mention that we need to do, and this can be in prayer, And this can be a process, but if you're taking notes, you may want to write these down, but there are three things. First of all, we need to forgive our dad for being whatever, being emotionally distant uh, or disappointed or absent or whatever. So what I mean by that is we need to start with our relationship with our dad, and we don't need to go to our dad. I'm just saying in prayer, we can say something like, God, I choose to forgive my dad for being, and then you fill in the blanks. For being distant, for being abusive, for being absent. It's the first part. Because we want to we break that hold. unforgiveness. It keeps that wound there, okay? It keeps us in bondage. So we want to break that this way, first of all. Secondly, we need to go this direction. So now we've, we've broken this with forgiveness. Now we go this way and we, and we renounce the lies, any lies that we've believed about God as a result of this. So, for instance, God, I renounce the lie I've believed that you are distant from me. Or I renounce the lie that you don't really care about my heart. You're too busy with other things. I renounce that lie that you can't be trusted. See what I'm doing? I'm initially forgiving here, but whatever that happens to be, I've often, we've projected that onto God. So then I'm renouncing the lies I've believed because of this. It's the second part. And then third And this is the best part of all. We ask Jesus how he feels about us. So, Jesus, what do you think of me? And then we let him speak to us his truth. Now, I have found that these three steps, if you will, can have a huge impact on our perception and our experience of God. Now, this may need to be repeated often as we become aware of another misperception that we have about God, and that's okay. This is a continual process that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. In Romans chapter 8, remember we read in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's what's happening when we're talking. He, we, we, the Spirit is helping us have an accurate perception of who God is. That's part of the Spirit's job description. So the more we understand this truth and the depth of our being, the more eager we're going to be to accept God's invitation to pray. And by the way, if, if, if sometimes we just need other people to help us walk through some of these things. And so we have a prayer minister here. we have people that, that can meet with you. So if you if you'd like someone to walk with you through some of that stuff with Father and all that stuff, um, you can call the church office and hopefully we can connect you there. But here's the deal. As we start this new year, as you focus on areas of your life that you want to see changed, remember, you you can have an intimate, powerful connection to God through prayer. It can change everything. It can change everything. Establish a rhythm. My encouragement is to establish a rhythm at the start of the year. Establish a rhythm where prayer is a regular part of your life. And and please hear me here. Here's here's my specific encouragement. Make this as comfortable as possible. (laughs) Make it as comfortable as possible. If that means getting on a recliner with a cup of coffee, just, just to enjoy the Lord, whatever that looks like, just come messy, come needy, come loved. Say yes to God's invitation to pray and your life will be significantly impacted. Your relationship with God will be significantly impacted as a result. All right, let's let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word, this example from Nehemiah, and this, this unpacking of prayer that really simplifies it for us. And really, you woo us into your presence with this, that we can come just the way we are. And that somehow our helplessness is our best prayer. <laughs> Lord, so I just want to pray for us. I want to pray for so many of us here who think that if we blew it last night, if we gave into some sin, if we yelled at our family this afternoon, that we can't pray because we're not worthy I pray you would would tear down those barriers and that we would run to you with all that we're experiencing, our guilt and our shame and all of that. We would run to you with that. And I pray for those here who feel like they can't run to you because they're just mad at you. They're just ticked you haven't responded or someone died that they didn't want to. I mean, you know what's going on. And I just pray for those people. They would know you're big enough, Lord, to handle that. They can run to you with their doubts and with their anger and confusion and why questions and all of that. So I pray they would do that. I pray they would do that. So I want you just to, just to keep your head bowed here and to close your eyes. And I, I want to do just, I'm going to walk us through these three steps. And again, this is something you can do again and again. We're just going to taste of this. But this is really, really important. So what I want you to do, first of all, your eyes are closed. I want you to think about, just imagine that you're in God's presence right now. Okay? Imagine you're in his presence. How do you perceive him? How do you perceive him? Is he close to you? Is he far away from you? Does he have a scowl on his face? What, what do you see in your mind's eye when you think about that God is, you, you, are, you are with God, he's here. What do you see? How do you perceive him? And by the way, if you don't see him, that's an answer means you don't perceive him to be there. Okay, so often our perception of God, we're going a little different direction here, but our perception of God, if you perceive him as distant, that often is because your relationship with your earthly father, how you perceive your earthly dad. Okay, so we're gonna start there with our earthly father, and I wanna encourage you right now, in the quiet of your heart, you can say something like this to the Lord. God, I, I forgive my dad for being, and fill in the blank, for being absent, for being disappointed, for never touching my heart, for, for being emotionally distant, whatever it is. Just say, I forgive my dad for, and fill in the blank. Okay, now I realize we're moving quickly through this. Some of you, there's there's some history there and some things that you want to work through with other people. I totally get that. I'm not trying to speed this up or make this really simple. I'm trying to give us a pattern for what this might look like. Okay, that's the first part, forgive our dad. Second, now I want you to think about what you just forgave your dad for, and I want you to renounce any lies you've believed about God similar things that you've projected from that experience onto God. So for instance, God, I just want to renounce the lie. And renounce just means I'm I'm breaking that. I'm not believing it anymore. God, I, I renounce the lie that you are distant from me or that you can't be trusted or that you don't care about my heart or that you're absent. So go ahead in the quiet of your heart, Renounce any lies you've believed about God based on your relationship with your earthly father. Thank you. Lord, thank you for the lies that are being broken, these misperceptions of you. Thank you for breaking that. And now, third, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask, just in the quiet of your heart, God, when you look at me, what do you feel towards me? So ask the Lord that question and wait for him to answer. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts, testifying that we're your children, that we're children of God, that you would continue to do that, you would continue to whisper words of truth and love, that you would begin healing our perception of God so that it would be accurate and we would see you, God, with your arms open wide and your arms wrapped around us, that you are with us, that you love us. We're on your, your lap, we're being held by you, whatever we're envisioning here, just that the sense of your presence. And I pray you'd help us grow in that more and more, Lord. This is a journey, a for, process for many of us here. I pray you'd continue to help us grow in our perception of you. And I pray that as a result of that, we would grow in our prayer lives. We would say yes to your invitation to come. <laughs> to come messy and come needy and come loved. So do that work in us. That amazing thing. And, and, and just deepen our intimacy with you as a result. Hmm. Let's just take a moment just to be quiet in his presence here. Just to enjoy him. He really does want to be with you. He wants to hang out. And Lord, we wanna hang out with you as well. We love you. We love you, Lord. So we're gonna continue now to enjoy the Lord and worship the Lord. I wanna encourage you to stand. Whatever campus you're at here, you can stand. The worship team is going to lead us. If you want to sit down at some point, that's totally fine. This is all about Jesus and just enjoying him. So Holy Spirit, come and fill this place with your presence. We pray. Set us free to worship you. Thank you, Lord.